Thank you for downloading the Engineering Commons. In this episode, we talk about the case of an Oregon man who was fined $500 for practicing engineering without a license. Along the way, we discuss traffic lights, free speech rights, and remaining forthright. The Engineering Commons explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of field or industry. Join Adam, Brian, Carmen, and Jeff as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is episode 132, by any other name, June 5th, 2017. So, Jeff, are you a fan of Shakespeare? Ah, Shakespeare. Yes, plays that we were forced to read in high school that didn't make much sense. And I don't think we were forced to go to a Shakespeare. Maybe we were. I remember going to a Shakespearean play, and I can't remember whether it was because I wanted to. I was told I had to by the family, or there was a, a school event that I had to. But I have been to several Shakespearean plays, and at least my uh, recollection is that you sit down and they start speaking, and it's though as they're speaking in a foreign language. And then after f- three, four, five minutes of them speaking in this foreign language, it starts to uh, starts to make sense, and I, I can understand what they're saying. Have, what about you, Adam? Have you been to a, a Shakespearean play? Uh, I've been to a few, at least. Uh, I'm trying to think how many, but uh, I'm sure I went to at least a couple in college, and. Uh, I'm sure that there were some in high school. Um, theater was one of the easier ways to get humanities taken care of in, in my schools. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> or, right. uh, yeah, yeah. Less demanding for the, the, uh, you know, the engineer who had all the heavy math classes and didn't really have all that much, uh, time or a tough schedule to get into music appreciation or something else. Right. Um, but I, I always found Shakespeare a little long winded and arbitrary. <laughs> Right. Well, well, so maybe the analogy is close to uh, the other one I was going to mention is I've had some uh, math classes where the professor would start to speak and none of the words made any sense. And again, after four or five minutes, I would start to hone in on the accent uh, and the rhythm of the pacing and the words. And all of a sudden, like Shakespeare, all of a sudden it would make sense uh, what was going on. And so <laughs> maybe there are more, more than one analogy between uh, the, those math classes and Shakespeare because the math classes seemed, seemed a little long-winded as well. I think you're way better at making sense of, of foreign languages than I am because <laughs> you said a couple of minutes and I was a couple of months usually. <laughs> mm. Right. So uh, Shakespeare is in the English language. And so uh, one of the sayings that we remember Shakespeare, uh, Shakespeare for these days is, is saying that a rose by any other name uh, would smell as sweet. And uh, there is some argument uh, that if one wants to go online and read about as to whether that, those were Shakespeare's real words or whether that was some a translation of what he said or a recollection of what was said in the play. But anyway, the idea is that that we if you have a physical object and it has these features, what does it matter what we call it? Isn't it the same thing? And so in this episode of the Engineering Commons, we wanted to talk about the recent case, a Oregon man who had some engineering background and started uh, making comments about traffic signals. 
and was thereafter fined by the Oregon Board of Engineering $500 for practicing engineering without a license. And so this involves, uh, much as Shakespeare, it's much the naming convention. You know, when you, we say engineer, what do we mean by the word engineer? Just as when we say doctor, what do we mean by the word doctor or attorney? What do we mean by that word? And so there's some, uh, some competing nomenclatures, some competing interests, some, uh, confusion perhaps about what is meant on, on both sides. And so we hope to talk a little bit about that, uh, during this episode. So. The, the title is by any other name, uh, because we want to talk a little bit about what is meant by various parties when they call someone an engineer. So, uh, for background, there seems to be some emphasis on whether someone is a licensed engineer, uh, in other countries outside the United States. This is some kind, sometimes called a chartered engineer. Here in the United States, it's, it's usually called a professional, uh, engineer. And, uh, I had personally had previously been a licensed professional engineer, uh, here in my home state. I have since, uh, let that, uh, that active, uh, license, uh, drop because I haven't used it and was not willing to pay for the, uh, continuing education hours that were required to keep it active. Although I believe I, uh, have the ability to go back and complete those hours and, and return to an active status. Uh, Adam, I believe you also are a licensed engineer here in the United States. Uh, yes, I, I believe in my state they go by registered professional engineer. Mm. Um, okay, minor difference, but um, yeah, I'll be working in in civil engineering. Um, it's nearly a requirement, right? And reality is, I use my PE very, very regularly as as part of my job. That's you know just a, a nature of civil engineering. Right. And so for a civil engineer who's doing uh, designs that affect public interest, uh, obviously that's, that's why this, this uh, certification is needed. You know, by what uh, mechanism are engineers, other engineers not required to have a engineering license? Uh, so most states have, um, something called an in- industrial exemption. Um, mm-hmm by which people can conduct engineering work not directly affecting the public welfare uh, and interest for their employer. Right. And, and so that is, you know, civil engineering typically does not fall under that um, category because it is public infrastructure um, and therefore affects the public well-being. But in most other uh, engineering fields, they're able to, to apply that industrial exemption, as my understanding. Right. So, so if I'm at a, um, ABC manufacturing company and I'm designing a widget to help in the manufacture of, you know, radio knobs, then there's no, because of this industrial exemption in most states, it's, I believe uh, here in the United States is state by state, uh, matter. I'm, I'm free to practice engineering because I'm just helping my company manufacture, uh, radio knobs and, and not doing anything that's directly affecting the public safety. Is that correct? That's how I understand it. Okay. All right. And and so, uh, Carmen, are are you a licensed in- engineer? Uh, licensed to kill, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was an extra grad course, but you got that, you know, neat little card to carry in your wallet. Right, right. Did you get a double O number? I'm not allowed to tell you that. Okay. <laughs> Would you want to know if you did? 
No, that could be that could be dangerous <laughs> for my health. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I just best I don't know. And what about you, Brian? No, no professional engineer for me. Okay, and and uh, have you ever been asked for you know to get a license or required to have a license? Uh Certainly not. And actually, that's part of the kickoff of why we're talking about this is, uh, I mean, in my experience, I've never actually met somebody in my professional life that is a professional engineer. Okay. Uh, I mean, you two notwithstanding, like in my day-to-day work, having worked for three companies, you know, worked with many clients in the engineering field, Mm -hmm. working on safety critical things, I've never met anyone ever that has been a professional engineer. Yeah, come to think of it, I don't think I have either. If they right. were, so, they never mentioned it. <laughs> right. So so we should uh, state up front that the percentage of engineers who are licensed as professional engineers or registered professional engineers uh, varies very much by profession. It's it's much higher in civil engineering where, where these engineers are building bridges uh, and taking care of traffic lights, that sort of thing. Uh, than it is, say, electrical engineering, uh, where you're generally designing circuits for industrial companies, and uh, sort of a sort of mid-range for mechanical. If you're designing uh, something that you know something that's going to roll down the highway, it may not be the the road, but if you have some sort of trailer or something that's that's rolling down the highway, you may need to have it signed off by a mechanical engineer who's licensed. Uh, but again, if you're if you're manufacturing something in the plant, it's much less likely that you're going to need a engineering license. And my understanding was HVAC was one of the biggest um, needs for mechanicals to have license. Mm. Okay. I can see that. That ties in with infrastructure. And anyone who's generally designing... (sighs) Jeez, I wonder what the caveat is here. I mean, we want to say like people who build the grid for electrical engineers, but there's probably a better way to say that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not simply if you're dealing with mains electrical, because I deal with mains electrical all the time. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure where the clean cutoff is where you're required to, but again, it's pretty rare though. If you work for a utility as an electrical engineer, chances are you are a professional engineer. Okay. My old boss did for a while, but he wasn't a professional engineer. I wonder if maybe he was doing something slightly unrelated. Now, there is one other um, exemption, which it's my understanding all states have, um, and that is engineering can be done under the supervision of a registered engineer, um, which is how you gain uh, the mandatory experience requirement to to gain that, that registration. So, you know, it could be possible that they were working under the supervision of somebody else who was registered Mm -hmm. um, and therefore could do that work. Um, While they couldn't sign off on it at the end, um, they could definitely do the work. Yeah. And since they were my old boss and I've never been in the uh, big power electronics, the power grid area, uh, they maybe didn't stay on long enough to get certified or get to a point where they needed to be certified. And keep in mind, still, I work in mains connected power electronics. I've still, I've never met a professional engineer, electrical engineer in my life. Mm-hmm. Right. So the the term engineer is sort of broadly used because of this. Obviously, someone who is a licensed engineer or a chartered engineer uh, would be an engineer. But there are many, many people who 
as you've pointed out, Brian, have engineering degrees that uh, are not licensed. However, there are many people who do not have engineering degrees, Mm -hmm. pieces of paper that say, you know, bachelors of some sort of engineering on it, who nonetheless are called engineers. There are many uh, non-degreed engineers. Non-degreed engineers. There are many you know, software engineers. Uh, that term is getting you know widely applied, uh, and these people are are you know often very very talented and very very smart, but ha- do not have a degree that says engineering on it. And there, of course, are these these stories of people that get you know uh, the garbage collectors that get called sanitation engineers because there's no nothing to keep them from calling themselves engineers, and it's it's a much better sounding title. That that's a, an interesting one. Because there's actually a field of environmental yeah. engineering, civil engineering, that is sanitation engineering. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, it's with regards to design of landfills and um, clean and dirty water. Okay. Now, circling back, though, uh, all clever uses of the word engineer. But engineer is a protected term, is it not? It depends on your state. Yeah. Uh, but we can talk about, I mean – Across the board. I mean, in, in general, you, and I guess that gets to the point of the article, you are not allowed to legally call yourself an engineer. It, it Again, it depends on your state. Well, so go ahead. In, in most states, and, and the couple that I've, um, I've dealt with personally, engineer is not a protected title. Professional engineer is. I thought you were not allowed to, at least in the state of Minnesota, and I thought this was pretty common, you are not allowed to have like Brian Engineering on a business title unless you are a professional engineer. That is true in many states, but for instance, in the state I'm in, that is not the case. Oh, I, indeed. I, and again, since we're talking about state law, and I, and, I, and let's not even get into international. I mean, <laughs> okay, like it, it it is not uncommon for even the term engineer itself, not just professional engineer, to be a protected term. Is not uncommon, correct? Hmm. This is why it, I always it, carry a whoopee cushion with me, so no one mistakes me for a professional engineer. <laughs> <laughs> Are you an unprofessional engineer? Yep, yep. I got the squirting flower and everything. <laughs> wow. Well, so so the 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 idea is that it makes sense if someone could be injured by this. So someone who is claiming to be an quote unquote engineer, whether we consider that pro- professional licensed or whatever, who goes and des- is designing a bridge, uh, who is not qualified to design that bridge, that could injure the public health. And so there's a, a reasonable step taken by the states, uh, to try to dissuade people from lying about their qualifications as a quote unquote engineer, much in the same way that we, we have the same sort of restrictions on the term doctor. Uh, even though that is a widely used term and we have, we have PhDs that are called doctor and we have, uh, other people who assume the word or the title doctor, even though they're not medical doctors, because we don't want unqualified people dispensing medical advice. Or sick beats in the case of rappers. (laughs) (laughs) That's a, that's a protected term, man. You don't want, you don't want someone calling themselves Dr. Dre if they're not really qualified. Right. So, for instance, in, in the medical world, there are nurses now who are getting advanced degrees. They are getting essentially PhDs in nursing. And so when their patients come in to talk with them, they will say, I am Dr. Smith. And physicians get very upset because that implies that they are medical doctors as opposed to PhD doctors, even though they are 
very qualified in, in the medical field uh, uh, by virtue of their PhD. But this is, the, you know, again, the same sort of thing. We, we, have to, we have to sort of distinguish between the term engineer and doctor or whatever, where it's applied, right? It's very contextual as to what it means. Well, okay. And so here's one place where I would say the analogy breaks down. Um, okay. As, as an engineer, and I, again, I'm only speaking, to, uh, speaking from my own experience as an electrical engineer, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm clearly not exp- extending into Adam's area. As an electrical engineer, you can design like easily the most dangerous stuff that my field designs in terms of, you know, uh, implantable devices, uh, avionics, armaments, right. uh, fl- uh, drive-by-wire systems, autonomous vehicle stuff, and you'll never touch a professional engineer. So if we're assuming that it's all equally dangerous at some level, it all has the ability to kill people, it's more like, in at least in the electrical engineering field, that surgeons have decided that they're the only real doctors. And that nobody else, even though you might be a radiologist or a cardiologist, nobody's nobody else is allowed to be called a doctor. So I would say there is one thing to keep in mind with uh, the stuff that you're talking about the the mm-hmm. the, the products. Um, it's my understanding in many cases those products then get a certification um, UL or something like that 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 product is safe. No. I mean, sometimes they do, but there's no requirement that they do. There's, I mean, it's, you can sell it in the U.S., you can sell a mains attached device with virtually zero certification. Nothing in this country requires you to do any sort of safety testing or uh, uh, compliance testing. And then another caveat there is sell. Um, You're not forcing the person to use it. Well, understood. You know, but at yeah. the same time, and, and I would say that the the company the company there thereafter is taking on the responsibility, the liability for that decision is going to the company as opposed to the individual uh, engineer or designer. Well, that that depends. That that's not necessarily true. Um, and I, I I've long thought we should have, do a lawyer and a liability podcast uh, version. Um, I know for a fact, and since you know it's a global market. In Europe, you have you are not treated mm-hmm. with any sort of industrial exemption. You are personally liable for, you know, even if uh, even if you just had a piece of it, you can be extradited to mm-hmm. an EU country and face murder charges or manslaughter charges for. Uh, and this has happened. This is not a this is not a hypothetical uh, for a failure of your product or a potential failure, even if your product. Mm-hmm worked and still killed people you are personally liable okay but it's you know lots of things are dangerous and i guess that's i don't want to argue against civil engineers uh, because i get the difference the difference is you you don't get to do the kind of and you are right adam i mean there is some level of certification and testing and you only get to build a bridge once Mm-hmm. And, and you have to use um, a sewer system. You don't get a choice. Yep. Um, yeah, there are some clear differences. You know. Um, that being said, I, I personally believe that there would be. I think there's benefits to the professional engineering system, um, and, and some things that we've talked about in the past on this podcast that I think other fields would benefit from. 
Like what? Um, well, so to become a, re- a registered engineer, you have to work for a, uh, a certain period of time. Uh, and that depends on your um, education. Uh, higher education allows you to shorten that time under the supervision of a professional engineer. To people who are uninitiated, I kind of compare it to like a residency for a doctor. Um, but basically, you get to learn not the school stuff, but the reality of how engineering actually works and practice for four years is kind of the standard time frame, and it shrinks from there with education. Um, with somebody else there mentoring you, um, watching over you, watching over your decisions, and kind of providing a safety net for four years for you to get competent in things before you're thrown to the wolves, essentially. Um, and that's by law. Uh, really, there is no way around that, um, or very few ways around that requirement. It depends on your state a little bit, once again. But um, so I, I think that's a, a strong benefit of that of that system. Um, it almost creates a like an apprenticeship environment. But it, there is a catch to it, and I, so I actually do agree with you that I like the idea of I really do like the idea of licensure. But what do you do in um, in whole professions where there are no professional engineers? Like there's no one for you to do your apprenticeship with, you know, you, you basically, Mm -hmm. even if you went and took the FE, like it's basically a dead end. It stops there. Absolutely. Um, and I don't have a solution to that. Uh, I will say most states that I'm aware of do have a, uh, opportunity for people in, in low PE fields to gain licensure, um, without that, the, the, they have to have the experience, but it doesn't have to be under a PE because of the recognition. That's a very hard thing to find. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some ad- alternate requirements, uh, and that varies widely um, um, from either needing to find other PEs, whether they're in your field or not, to provide statements or even just, okay, well, you have to submit your a more detailed uh, recounting of your experience to the board before they'll review it than they would for someone who did have their time under a PE. Um, that could be interesting. And, you know, it, I actually went and reviewed, you know, in preparation for this, the FE exam. And if anyone hasn't done it, I would definitely recommend it. The questions are pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. I'd also say they're not trivial. So it's, you know, I, I could imagine a world in which the FE is like the bar exam where everyone has to pass it in order to become a quote unquote professional engineer. But it's, it the stumbling block is for me has always been, well, well, a it's in my field, it's something you're going and doing because you believe in it, not because you need it. And the FE isn't even that equivalent of the bar exam. It's more of a learner's permit. Yeah. Um, the PE would be the equivalent, which is a, at least when I took them both a very different animal. Um, they've, are both in the process of changing substantially over the last couple of years. So I, I can't, I can't speak to the current uh, status and, and changing in what way? Like the FE, my understanding is now uh computer based. Okay. You sit down at a computer and take it. I know that the, the PE has changed in its format a little bit. Um, at least the breakdown of the, the way the, the questions were split, um, at least for, for civil. Right. So, so you've um, taken it much more recently than I have w- when I took it, which was mm-hmm. back in the mid eighties, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. It was, well, first of all, I could take, I took both tests on a weekend. Uh, so I took the, the PE exam on Friday and I took the fundamentals exam on Saturday with back kind of backwards from what you'd expect. Did you do them back to back? Yeah. One, one on, one on Friday. So on Friday, the PE was, I, they gave you, I don't know, 20 questions and you had to answer eight of them. So I did four questions in the morning and four questions in the afternoon. Uh, and then it was, I can't remember there was multiple choice or fill in the blank or exactly how it was, but many more questions for the fundamentals exam that was, uh, took all day Saturday. Yeah. And, and so when I took them, um, I was still under the paper, uh, FE, which as a senior in college, me and all my classmates, uh, we spent a Saturday in a conference center, um, taking this test, Mm -hmm. um, four hours in the morning, uh, hour break for lunch and four hours in the afternoon. Right. And then the PE that has changed or had changed. It was, um, I think it's 80 questions now, uh, multiple choice rather than the, the old, you get to select which problems you take. Okay. Method. Um, which I know a lot of people who took the, the, you pick which problems. So now you need to answer, um, you get to pick your discipline, but you have to answer all the problems. Okay. Or all the problems count for or against you. Okay. More correctly. Yeah. Um, but you do get to pick. So like my PE, I took the civil and then I took the, the civil morning section, which covered all of civil. And then the afternoon was transportation. Okay. Um, and so I, I, it was much more focused problems than the, the morning section was. Okay. Um, but I still, there were problems in there in areas of transportation that I never work in and I didn't have a choice. I had to deal with them. Right. So at least my assessment from back then was that, that most of the problems were still very academic. It was, you know, I remember one of the problems. One was you're standing on the end of it or a man was standing on the end of a diving board, weighed so many pounds and started jumping up and down. And you're supposed to find, you know, a resonant frequency or, or amount of displacement, something like that at the, at the end of the diving board. You know, I guess it's practical if you were designing a, di- a diving board or had some sort of, uh, a cantilever beam problem that you were doing, but so much of engineering in practice is communication and coordination and explaining things and making sure things show up at the right time at the right place that, that the other part of the exam, the part you were mentioning earlier, Adam, where you have to do an apprenticeship or you have to work under the supervision of somebody who is a PE, um, that's, that's so different from, from the exam part. And so, uh, people spend so much time uh, preparing for the exam part, but really the 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 key the key value I think there is uh, getting experience under the tutelage of someone who has been through it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I know anyone who would argue that the exam is the important part of this the process. Well, um, except maybe the people who write the exam. Well, there's certainly there's it's certainly the struggling part for many people who can't get through the exam, right? So so when I prepared f- to take the PE. At the local college, I went and took, a, I don't know, it was like a seven or eight week course where you'd, you know, you'd meet every week and they'd give you problems to practice from. And then, uh, you come back the next week. And if you had questions that explain any difficulties you had in getting through the problems. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to get through, uh, the, the, uh, the testing on my first try. But I, in, in that course at the local community college, there were people there trying to pass the PE exam for the sixth, seventh, eighth time. Mm-hmm. They, they, they were really struggling with it. Mm-hmm. But also, I would say, in my experience, you know, even if you go into a field without a professional engineering culture 
like you're not thrown to the wolves. I mean, every every place that's gonna that you're gonna want to work at is gonna have some level of apprenticeship. Like, there's always you know very junior engineers, you know, veteran and senior engineers that you're always working for, and you know you're you're being developed as opposed to just you know with the we're showing up with the exception with the exception you know anything or assumption that you know anything um so i mean from my perspective the exam is the thing that is you know i was never exposed to because it wasn't required and i can see value in it mm-hmm. and that's and that's primarily because i went and looked at the exam and the exam i thought had relevant questions and I would definitely agree the PE much more so than the than the FE. Yeah. Um as having relevant questions. It still felt fairly academic to me. But no matter where you are, I mean again, there are probably some really crappy places to work. There is effectively an apprenticeship. Yeah. I guess I was referring to the stories I hear of people who go to startups and they're the engineer and they're brand new grads. Well, I mean but keep in mind I'm going to say this and immediately think of an exception there are no startups doing things that are dangerous you know for the most part well okay and i immediately yeah. thought of exceptions but it's yeah I, i've got two or three in mind but <laughs> but for the most part they're not like the teslas and SpaceXs of the world are overwhelmingly exceptions in the startup world mm-hmm. well the other th- the other thing that i i found interesting about uh being a licensed engineer is there are no real restrictions on what you do. When when somebody says, uh, hey, I need a licensed engineer. So my background was in mechanical engineering. I took the uh, – I'm trying to remember I, whether I got to pick the mechanical engineering qualification. I don't remember any civil engineering problems or electrical engineering problems on the exam, so I must have taken the mechanical engineering uh, exam. But when it says you, you need to be signed by a professional engineer – I could sign on anything. I mean, once I was licensed, I could I could have signed on bridge drawings, or I could even though I didn't, you know, that wasn't my uh, specialty. Or I could have signed off on, you know, electrical circuits. Again, not my not my specialty. I, I will say, Jeff, and I'm sure you know this. Um, there is an ethical responsibility to only sign things that you're qualified to do. And that and that was where I was wanting to get to. Was I, oh, okay. That, that's the interesting part that that it's all based again upon. A, a reliance on the engineer themselves that they will not go beyond their capabilities. So you will find, again, those who are very cautious and don't want to push the bounds and, and risk getting called out for doing something they're not qualified for or not. But you're all, you know, you're developing a new system, a new process. And how do you know whether you're really qualified or can't do it? Or if nobody else has done it before, somebody has to step into the, into the breach and, and uh, figure out how to make it happen. So, uh, then you start getting to the gray areas about what is, you know, what is ethically correct and, and what is not. Mm-hmm. Are you, Adam, are you saying that Jeff is in any way unqualified to do anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was more the, uh, the, uh, uh, the greater you. Should we be having a PE sign off on these episodes before we release them? Well, that's what Adam does. No. I mean, it it is public infrastructure. <laughs> you, you you don't have a choice but to listen. Adam signs off on this stuff. Oh, all right. As long as Adam approves, I'm okay with it then. <laughs> so, 
it's it, it's a it's an interesting area. This you know what what we call engineer, what we mean by an engineer, and I suppose we should get on to the uh, the story that got us talking about that. Oh, stupid story. <laughs> well, <laughs> so is is the case of it's the case of an Oregon man whose wife got a traffic ticket for running a red light and started investigating the amount of time that the traffic lights were in their yellow mode and went back through the literature, determined that the algorithm for which how long a light should be yellow uh, was determined based upon people going in a straight line, that is passing straight through the intersection. And that this thing did not account for what the delayed time if somebody had to break and make a right hand or left hand, you know, a turn out of their lane and that a better algorithm could be written to account for the fact that you were, had to slow down to make this turn through a yellow. And, and he claimed that his wife had gotten trafficked by a, a camera light, as I understand it, uh, one of those traffic cameras because she was making a right hand turn, had to slow down. And had a unreasonably short period of time allotted to her uh, by the algorithm that was being used. And so uh, this gentleman, Matt's, I don't know if it's Jarl Strom, Jarl Strom uh, is J-A-R-L-S-T-R-O-M, had, had been trained overseas, I believe. And I can't remember where it was. It was Sweden? Sweden as, as a engineer, had some sort of engineering degree there. Uh, but anyway, had, uh, had basically taken his computations and had talked to some, uh, local engineering groups, uh, who were interested, uh, in his findings. And, uh, I think got himself in trouble when he went on TV. One of the local TV stations wanted to talk to him and he, and he talked about his issues and then really made life difficult for himself when he started sending mail to the, uh, board of engineering there in the state of Oregon. <laughs> And so, so we get into the, into the meat of the problem is he sent this information and, and was explaining it. And he said, I am a engineer. Now he was an engineer by training. He did have a degree in engineering, but he wasn't a traffic engineer. And Oregon is a state that engineer is a regulated title. Yes. So the issue becomes what, when he said he was an engineer, was he using the casual term? Hey, I'm an engineer, like I'm a software engineer or a non-licensed engineer, or was the engineer term mean I'm a licensed professional engineer, specifically in traffic engineering? So I don't think anybody is arguing the fact that he had the right to do math or that he had the right to explain math to others. The question is, when he called himself an engineer, what did that mean? After several years of this pinging back and forth with the the uh, Board of Engineering, he was fined $500 uh, for identifying himself as an engineer in the emails he sent to Beaverton officials uh, when he was challenging the, the state's timing of yellow traffic lights. I, I'm, I'm just going to say, before anyone forms an opinion, and I'm not referring to my co-host here, but... Oh, I've already formed an opinion. I, I know you have. Um, I, I suggest <laughs> the the um, state of Oregon's uh, disciplinary actions for um, from the board of, of uh, engineering and land surveying. Um, they're public and available on the internet. And there's some details that the media has glossed over that um, 
I, I just, I think that it, it's a, it's a good thing to read if you're going to have an opinion on this. It's not terribly long, like 10 pages, including a bunch of, uh, regurgitation of statute, mm-hmm. um, double spaced mostly. Okay. Um, so, so what about it? Do you think that the media is missing? That, that would be relevant to my negative opinion of them. Okay. Well, one of the things is he originally approached the board about a complaint about Beaverton's traffic signals. They informed him that they don't regulate that. Um, and then in his letter, he, he identified himself as an engineer and, and they informed him that engineering is a protected title. Uh, and I'm summarizing it to a degree and that he would not be allowed to refer to himself as an engineer legally. Um, he agreed to stop doing so and then turned around and just did it again. The other thing is he, uh, apparently had represented himself as an expert in the area of basically traffic, traffic engineering, which, um, nearest I can tell he does not have any, uh, formal education or experience in traffic engineering before this incident in his expertise is in electrical engineering and acoustics, not saying that there couldn't be crossover, but it's not traffic engineering. Mm-hmm. So there's an element of this. And I, 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 I now admittedly, I have not gone and confirmed this. <sighs> you, I believe can refer to yourself as anything you want in public, as long as it's not part of a, as long as you're not entering in, testimony under affidavit or accepting money in exchange for goods. Like I'm pretty sure you could walk out and say you're a doctor and start giving out medical advice. And as long as you don't, as long as you don't accept money for that, you haven't committed any fraud. You haven't, you haven't committed a crime. You know, as long as long as you don't walk in and actually try to practice law as somebody's attorney in you know, in a court of law, there's, I don't think there's anything preventing you from giving somebody legal advice as, as, as stupid as it, as it would be for somebody to accept it. I, I don't know that, I don't know that there's a limitation on freedom of speech that would prevent you from outright lying about your credentials until you accept money or bear witness. Anyone know of a context where I'm wrong in that respect? And I'm not entirely sure. So I'm, I'm, I do not know. You're a lot, meaning, meaning freedom of speech extends to lying. It does. As you, as you stated, as long as you're not in a court of law where you're sworn to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And so what I don't get in this particular case, even given the background you've just given me, he wasn't accepting money or, or, or actually testifying in court as to his credentials in any way where he could have committed fraud. I don't know how he can't sue them, and I believe he is suing them, uh, simply on freedom of speech. They have zero ability to prevent himself in written word from referring to himself as an engineer. My understanding is that suit is is ongoing, and that's the, the uh, extent of the suit. The other part of the disciplinary action was um, they deemed, based on the statutes, that he was practicing engineering as defined by state statute. Um, he referenced a exemption, um, which is basically that exemption I talked about earlier about working, uh, so exempts person from registration as professional engineer. If that person is working, uh, I think it's supposed to be working as an employee of a registered professional engineer, but there's three, you, you, there's a certain three criteria which have to be met. 
in order to be able to practice as an engineer and not be the engineer. And he claims to have met one of the three. So he tried to basically argue his industry exemption protected him. Um, he argued um, that because he was not making final decisions, he did not have to meet it. Um, the way the statute is read, it says in all of the three, the first one does not include final engineering design deci- designs or decisions, that the work is done under the supervision and control of a professional engineer, and the person does not purport to be an engineer uh, or registered professional engineer in any verbal um, claim, sign, advertisement, letterhead, card, or title. And I'm kind of regurgitating the statute out of that disciplinary notice. But it's it's um, all three is the way the statute is um, worded from what I can read here. And he's claiming one of those, so therefore he did not have to meet the rest of the criteria. <laughs> you know, right, right or wrong, that's the way the statute is. Yeah. Hmm. There's an article... And, and I can put it in the show notes from a, a blog. And I, the, the author of the blog seems to be fairly anonymous, but uh, the name of the blog is, and now it's all this. But they go through and uh, talk about the correspondence that was, was uh, had uh, between Mr. Jarlstrom. And again, I apologize if I'm missing that name uh, and the board. Uh, but the, the author says, okay, from the correspondence, you can either come to two conclusions, either this person was baiting the board, trying for a lawsuit. Sounds like he was. Just goad them. Or he's a incredible doofus. And so, or both, or both. So I, there's a sentence halfway or two thirds through the article. It, it he's talking about this this correspondence, uh, and uh, the this author says, well, this this seems like strong evidence for baiting. Although I suppose you could make a case for massive, massive doofus. But, I mean, if you want to make the point, I mean, somebody's got to get that flipped. Like, and again, I'm putting on my, uh, I am not a lawyer, but why not pretend to be one right now? There's no way this holds up in court. Like, he's going to win. There's no way the state is going to be allowed to have prior restraint on people's speech. So this gets back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode is there is certainly a legitimate right of the state to try to protect its citizens to somehow designate those who are qualified for doing certain sorts of activities. You know, for instance, being a medical doctor, uh, designing bridges, designing traffic intersections, one would say that is very important to public safety. Mm -hmm. And and so there's, there's the, certainly the right of the state to do that against the right, again, again, of free speech, Uh, the right to say, Hey, I'm an engineer, even though I don't, I'm an unlicensed engineer, even though I don't have a degree by virtue of the fact I've spent 20 years doing tooling design, I'm a tooling engineer. Uh, in most cases, that is not an issue. The issue is here at this, this weird intersection of these two worlds. If the tooling engineer, in this case, our, our person who has a Swedish engineering degree in electronics, uh, says, Hey, I'm an expert in traffic engineering or a tooling engineer says, Hey, I can, I can design a bridge for you. So nobody's saying that they can't call themselves an engineer or lie about engineering. If you want to say the the right to deceive is is protected, that's fine. But but certainly the state has some authority to regulate who claims to do, you know, to be qualified and and to uh, require those individuals to have proof of their qualifications. I don't even know that I would go that far, but that is the way that the way it is. Well, well. So what what is the state supposed to do? That's a good question. So. I'm trying to think of analogies. 
So you can definitely go to prison if you practice, if you try to perform a medical procedure without a license. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can yeah. the, the same thing with a with a law in law. Anyways, um, okay, but here's the issue: is no one says that you don't have a right to express your opinion about appendectomies as a citizen. I like them. I don't like them. I think they're silly. I would do it differently. Yeah, you're right. Is to the point where you start actually doing appendectomies on people and you're not qualified that that trouble occurs. You're right. I, I mean, and- so, so in this case, this person saying, I don't like the way yellow lights are done is free speech rights. This individual was going in front of industry groups and presenting his ideas. Again, you know, as again, that's not necessarily a problem. I would expect the industrial group to be, uh, to have their own qualified engineers to assess whether that stuff, uh, made sense or not. The, the issue is as you're talking to the board of engineering, which are, you know, which is already highly sensitive about the term engineering and saying continually, not, not just once or twice, but continually coming back and saying, I'm an engineer, I'm an engineer, I'm an engineer. When engineering is a protected term in the state and you're not certainly not qualified in the realm of traffic engineering, which is what the argument is about, that they say, okay, we're going to slap your hands with a $500 fine. I think that they overstepped their bounds, and I think you're right. It'll probably be this $500 fine will be overturned in the courts. But I don't want to get lost in the, in the entire conversation that they don't have a right to try to uh, protect the public by, by being careful with the, the engineering term. Okay. You know, I, I'll also – this is another element that maybe wasn't um, well mentioned in the media, but in that order it says – um, the, where he conducted the practice of engineering was by providing publicly, publicly released in quotes, traffic engineering calculations, uh, to the sheriff of the county where he advised changes in the traffic signals. And I suspect that that advised changes is where we're, where they're saying he stepped over the line. Yeah. But again, that's, I can give medical advice to people on the radio and to a panel of doctors and even to patients like the people who are going around Minnesota claiming to that the MMR causes autism that doesn't constitute a, a form of fraud. I mean, it's intellectually fraud, fraudulent, but it's, and it's, you're, you're lying, but you're not, you're not engaged in a contract. You haven't tricked anyone out of money and you haven't given false testimony in a sworn affidavit or in sworn testimony, which are the only, the only places where I think you can, you basically lose your free speech exemptions. And, and so would the, I think it comes down to is, is advising changes speech or is that a practice? You know, in reality, traffic engineering, it's mostly written. You know, I don't actually go out and build signals. I draw them on paper. Um, or actually I have other people draw them on paper, but, um, or write text mm-hmm. and, and make verbal comments of the changes or, or how things should be done, um, or written. And, and, and that is the practice of engineering. And, and so I think there definitely is this gray area here, which the courts are going to have to, they're the ones who are going to have to figure this out is, what is of that action is speech and what of that action is not actually speech anymore. Yeah. And again, uh, assuming that he never, uh, he never accepted money 
or sign a contract, I I don't see how he loses. That that seems slam dunk to me. But then again, who knows? Yeah. So if he had lied about being a traffic engineer and had gotten himself hired or had yes. uh, contracted out the design of the the traffic lights without the background and had been found out, then certainly the the board of engineering would be correct in smack you know. Oh, absolutely. Slapping yes. him down for that. And it would probably be much more than a $500 fine. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And again, yeah, that's that's the same thing. You know, anyone can go on TV and say I'm the Dr. X and X show, you know. Yeah. Well, for instance, we, we have the musical art, uh, artist, Dr. John. Uh, are we going to sue him for using the term doctor, though he's not a qualified medical doctor? That- and next thing you're going to tell me, Dr. Dre has no board certified medical license. He doesn't? I'm shocked. Doctor of Funk, baby. I'm shocked. But in fact, I came up with Dr. John and you came up with Dr. Dre. I <laughs> said so something about our ages, I think. Yeah. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, like what, what really pissed me off about this whole thing was, and again, for Adam, this is, it's the majority of his group. And I think the numbers we saw ahead of time said 70% of all professional engineers are civil engineers. If you look at it from the perspective of an electrical engineer, Somebody who represents a you know very small minority of our field could conceivably be telling the rest of the engineers in the field that they're not real engineers. I know this is a contrived, and I believe that this is a contrived situation in order to basically force that. But it 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 shouldn't be you, that shouldn't be allowed. Right. So I, there was a. Uh, what is it? Engineeringtips.com. There's a, there's a forum that, that somebody had came up with this summary that I thought was pretty good. And that is, so if you're unlicensed, then holding yourself out to be an engineer to the public is illegal. You can, you can call yourself engineer in industry, but telling people in the public you're an engineer is illegal by virtue of, of the state statutes. Now, whether that's too strict or not, we, we can debate. Holding yourself out to be an engineer for hire is illegal. Expressing an engineering opinion in an effort to secure engineering work is illegal. And and the area that I think we're into is expressing an engineering opinion with no hiring or monetary compensation anticipated. That remains legal because it's free speech. Yes, but even then, I would I would attack most of those conditions. And again, going away from bridge building to just to simply in my field, most of the areas in my field have little or no professional engineering involvement. So, you know, in wafer design or stuff like that, I would be shocked if there were any professional engineers. So so if you wanted people to offer an, a public engineering opinion on, you know, those kinds of topics, good luck finding somebody. Like everyone who's really qualified isn't a professional engineer. So does that mean that nobody in those fields is allowed to express technical knowledge? You know, and what if you want to be an independent contractor and offer VLSI engineering services? Does that mean you, you know, you can't, you can't offer yourself as a hired gun in those particular fields? A lot of this brings to light, you know, and this is very common in, in dealing with state statute, which is something I um, do far more often than I'd like to. Um, <laughs> we got I mean, we have to remember many of these statutes were written back in the days when engineering was bridge building, buildings, um, you know, exactly. steam, steam locomotives were just coming into, into vogue and products weren't engineered, so to speak. 
mm-hmm. um, because they weren't of that complexity at the time. And many laws are out of date. You know, I, I see them all the time. Um, you know, laws about how you can tie up your horse in town. Uh, it, it, oh, you better not do it wrong. N- never got off the books. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, it, it's not an issue and so it doesn't come off the books. Um, and this, you know, my opinion is this is an area that it, it um, the nature of industry has evolved such that it probably was a very uh, well thought on very appropriate law and, and very complete mm-hmm. at the time it was written. But uh, industry has kind of grown in a way, uh, I think taking full advantage of that industrial exemption to the way that really those old, um, older engineering disciplines, civil and some portions of mechanical are the only ones that um, are abiding by the, that statute or are maybe not abiding by the statute. It's not the word I wanted to use um, using that system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I agree with all that. I mean, and again, I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't need some level of licensure and certification to build bridges, build roads, et cetera. It's just, you know, I come from a, I come, and I'm sure Carmen does come at it from a perspective of there's just no professional engineers where we are. Mm-hmm. And let's also remember that um, the the case that brought this to light um, yes, was in tried. traffic engineering, which is one of those areas that professional engineering uh, registration is for all intents and purposes a requirement. Yeah. Um, And there's no shortage of PEs that do traffic engineering. Well, maybe not no shortage, but there's definitely some you can find. Yeah. The other part that we get into, of course, uh, is, is there's a difference between laws that are on the books and laws that are enforced. Uh, And so what I think is, is happens in many cases, Brian, is that, uh, if no one, if no one is complaining or making a, making a case of it, uh, then, uh, nothing happens, right? It's only when somebody at the board finds out about it and says, Hey, you can't do that. And it, it then it becomes an issue. And that's how laws change too. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, um, I may be incorrect about this. I do not have this document in front of me, but I seem to recall reading that the Oregon board was basically directed to enforce this law more stringently. <laughs> really? By whom? I, I, I do not remember. Um, I okay. see if we can find it in Lincoln in the show notes, but uh, I do remember reading something about why Oregon has uh, gone very aggressively at the use of the term engineer um, when they previously hadn't. Oh, not to say that um, misrepresenting someone's, someone's self as a, a PE is um, not something to be enforced. Um, I will say, I think the use of, uh, the restriction of engineer is a bit aggressive and I don't believe most states are either enforcing it if it is, um, against the law. Yeah. And as I discussed before we started recording this episode, this is not a new issue. I remember, uh, for many years reading the, uh, the letters to the editor in the ASME magazine. And, uh, it seemed there was constantly an ongoing debate about who could and could not use the term engineer in their title. Oh yeah, and so uh, this is not uh, this this is not something new. Yeah, I think Adam's got a very enlightened view of of uh, these issues. I've heard people be a lot more. I'm being charitable when I say persnickety. <laughs> you know, and um, becoming a, a, a professional engineer is a, a major accomplishment, and um, 
there is a degree of if people start watering that down, it, it makes that major accomplishment less, um, a perceived le- to be less valuable. Um, and so I can understand why some people are defensive about the issue. And it depends also upon your, your view of, of the role of the state, right? Is the state there to protect us or should it stay out of its way? You know, you can take a more libertarian type of view where you say, Hey, uh, the state should stay out of it and I'll decide who's qualified and not qualified. And, but that again gets into what's in the public interest. You know, as you state, uh, Adam, you don't really have a choice which bridge you want to drive across. Yeah, but you're, you're also don't want the state to set up again purely coming at this from a double E perspective, you know, to set up a cartel. It's an unnecessary cartel, I should say, which I'm not saying that it is unnecessary, but it could be if it's basically, if it's basically meant to uh, exclude qualified people who aren't part of the group, who aren't currently part of the group. Well, it, to to a certain extent, it is, right? <laughs> so that's the that's the dual problem. Is you you have you know at what point does it become exclusionary because for an economic benefit? At which point is it exclusionary because it's a public health or a public concern? Mm-hmm. I mean, you are you you are trying to keep people who are unqualified out of the field. To what extent are you just or to what extent are you just creating another uh, legal obstacle to those who might who are qualified, but but might not otherwise be able to get in there uh, so as to compete with those who are already part of the club. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, if you look at most of the, uh, the licensure requirements, um, you know, when it was set up, it was clearly designed to be open to people to be able to get in. Many states have a exemption from the education requirements. I know of at least a few states where you have to have been practicing engineering before a certain date, which is long, long past. And I believe all the people who would, qualify for that are long dead but um it, it's just another case of a law that was set up to be reasonable at the time mm-hmm. that society has morphed in a way that the the letter of the law doesn't fit well anymore or at least fit the well way it is being practiced yeah so i think it is uh is safe to say that it's an ongoing issue the you know this uh this uh confusion between Engineering is a, as a general term of, of those who might perform certain activities and, and the term restricted term engineer as a concern state interest and public health interest. And so it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what eventually the courts do with this, this Oregon case. Yeah, definitely something to watch and see how it develops. As it comes up in the, uh, the courts or the news, we may return and, and revisit this and, and uh, have more to say about it. But it's been enjoyable having a little conversation about some of the aspects of the engineering uh, field and, and uh, what, that, what that term engineer really means. But I think we've, we've covered enough of it that we should uh, probably wrap up this episode and, and uh, call it a day. What do you think? Sounds good to me. Perfect. All right. Well, fantastic. It's, uh, it's been enjoyable. And uh, we'll get together in another couple of weeks to do another episode of The Engineering Commons. All right. Take it easy, guys. Bye. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our musical introduction is by John Trimble and our concluding theme by Paul Stevenson.